0: you german yes german we are german okay why yell about it you german i'm canadian he canadian and he canadian my father fight against you last time we give you one good leak in and we do it again hello and welcome to the screen test of time the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for best picture I'm Susan Araslin.
1: I'm David Daw.
0: And this week we are starting our journey through the 1942 nominees with The Invaders or 49th Parallel, depending on which country you watch it in. But since we're in the United States, I guess we'll pick The Invaders?
1: Yeah, I I guess.
0: I mean, the original film's name is 49th Parallel, so I'm torn.
1: Both titles suck, right? Like, that's the thing.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. (laughs)
1: First of all, Behind Enemy Lines isn't taken yet. You can go ahead and name it that. Also, as we've learned from the later 80 years of filmmaking, just name it the U-boat that is in this movie, because that's always cool as shit. Just name this movie U-37. Yeah. Instantly better.
0: Or even the crew of U-37.
1: Yeah. But we don't need to...
0: Rename this film.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because the other problem with it is the movie itself is just okay.
0: Yeah, so this movie has four very distinct parts. Maybe five, really. I forgot about the very beginning. And they vary so wildly in quality that it feels like... You know how Quentin Tarantino and... Robert Rodriguez in the 90s were making those movies where they would do- Oh, Grindhouse. Yeah, Grindhouse. But then they also had four rooms where there were some other directors too. Everyone had their own film, but they were all sort of interconnected. Yeah. They're so disparate, it feels like they were four completely different directors.
1: For sure. This is a wildly episodic movie.
0: And totally divergent.
1: (laughs) Yes, I- To the extent I was going to say that I can do the framing device for all of those episodes in 20 seconds. Right. A U-boat comes over to be the first invading Nazi force in Canada. It gets blown up immediately after sending six people out to requisition supplies from a nearby trading post. And then those six Nazis now trapped in Canada Spend the rest of the film slowly being picked off through these various incidents as they try and escape back to Germany unsuccessfully because this movie hates Nazis, as it should, because Nazis fucking suck. Right. <laughs> that is the whole framing device. The various sections of it are basically self contained. You meet new people in Canada as the Nazis sort of travel around. And one or two of them gets picked off or lost in some way. And then at the very, very end, only the lieutenant is left. And he gets caught by U.S. Customs and sent back, even though technically he should have gotten away with it. They send him back in, I was going to say the weakest of the sections, but the weakest section is the opening 10 minute, not even a submarine movie.
0: So each of the places that the nazis go there's one strong overriding character per place and the first one is laurence olivier With an accent that rivals Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins for how terrible it is. It is. Oh, it's so bad.
1: It is wild that anyone could give this performance and be considered one of the greatest actors of all time.
0: I mean, really?
1: It's that bad. Like, I know we've seen him be good in other stuff, but it's that bad. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it really feels like it should drag down any respect anyone has for you forever in the way that Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins did for his acting career. Dick Van Dyke is a great entertainer, don't get me wrong, but, you know, he does New Year's Rock and Eve now instead of being an actor. So, I think that section is actually the weakest, other than the framing device setup, which who cares?
1: I would agree. It also has the like weird racist Eskimo thing.
0: Where the racist Eskimo representation is basically they went, hey, they look kind of Asian. Can you just do the weird racist Chinese stereotype that we always do for Hollywood movies? It's why? Yeah. Like, we're in the United States, surely they could find somebody.
1: After Laurence Olivier dies, it is momentarily interesting as this sort of trapped psychological portrait of these people, and then they sort of immediately abandon that situation as soon as it becomes interesting. Like, a plane flies in, and they grab the plane and leave, and then are stupid enough they run out of gas and crash land the plane. And then we get into probably the best section of the movie. I mean, I guess we could talk more at length about the first section. There's like a subplot where they're playing chess over the radio. Laurence Olivier doesn't believe that Nazis are all that bad at first because he's been out fur trapping for a year. And then it's like, hey, it turns out Nazis are bad people. And then that's it. There's not much substance there. You get to like the boilery substance part and then they take off. Right. Literally.
0: In a plane.
1: <laughs> yes. And then they crash land into communist propaganda that fucking rules. <laughs> they crash land into a commune of refugees from Germany and other parts of Europe that is wildly accepting of them to the degree that they all assume, oh great, here are Nazis in the making. <laughs> you guys are going to love our Fuhrer. And they're immediately like, no, actually, we were chased out of Germany because you guys are all racist shit fucks.
0: Yeah, they're Hutterites, which is kind of a, I'm not sure what kind of Christian that is called. It's the ones where they love everybody and they basically live in a, a narco-syndicalist commune. yeah. It seems great. I was like, how is this movie about basically living in a anarchist commune where everyone loves each other and does the work that they enjoy doing or are capable of doing for the greater good of the community allowed to be a Hollywood movie right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like Enemy of My Enemy, where they just decided they hate Nazis more than they hate communists and good work.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. <laughs>
1: but like, yeah, it is wild how... Even Grapes of Wrath did not this glowingly portray the idea of just everyone living communally.
0: Yeah, I mean, Grapes of Wrath was like, the way that things are is such shit that everyone living communally would be an improvement over the shit. This is just like, this is really lovely and wonderful. And who wouldn't want to live like this?
1: Yeah. And in fact, one of the Nazis, the one that is constantly getting dunked on by the lieutenant, Ends up taking on a role as a baker, which is what he was before Hitler took over. And everybody loves him for it. He's a great baker and he loves it there. And he genuinely, when I was watching this movie, I thought the leader of the community was Laurence Olivier, because it's such a Laurence Olivier part. He would be so much better at it. Oh, yeah. It is such a powerhouse performance and a powerhouse role. That speech he gives rejecting the Nazi speech by the lieutenant is kind of the high-water mark of the film, in my opinion.
0: It's definitely the movie's thesis. Yeah. It's quite beautiful, really. And apparently... The actor, Anton Walbrook, he's actually a German. His real name is Adolf Anton Wilhelm Walbrook. Well, he's Austrian, but, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah. But he left because of the Nazis. So it makes sense that he has that level of passion in that performance because he's drawn on some personal experience.
1: Uh, That whole section is great. The glowing portrait of the Hutterite stuff. The thing where the creepy teenage boy Nazi keeps perving on the girl who's turning 16 this week and the one half decent member of the Nazi crew is constantly protecting her... Just There's so much beautiful little character stuff in that section, whereas most of this movie, even when it gets kind of okay again, is so fucking over-the-top, propaganda-y, black and white, very clear, you-know-who-the-good-guys-and-who-the-bad-guys-are stuff. That is the only section of the movie that really gets to play around in any nuance or any interesting shading of these characters. Right. It's the only section where you really get to understand who any of the Germans are, Honestly?
0: Yeah, like the Baker guy ends up getting killed because he's not a good enough Nazi.
1: Yeah, he gets summarily executed for desertion of duty. And then they just move on to the next part of the film, which also honestly kind of sucks.
0: Oh, before we move on though, fun fact, Glennis Johns plays the teenage girl in the Hutterite community. She was also Winifred Banks in Mary Poppins. Oh heck. Yeah. So this is just the Tangential to Mary Poppins episode, I
1: guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's great in this. Honestly, everybody in that section is great. And then there's a very weird section where they almost get caught at like a Native people's they just call it Indian, but a like Native People's Day in an extremely weird be suspicious of all of your neighbors speech by the Mounties.
0: Yeah, where they describe what the Nazis who are missing look like and they say, look at your neighbors, look at them right now, look at whoever is standing next to you. Are they the Nazis?
1: And it's like, you're apparently not supposed to think about the description of the Nazis being a description of literally everyone in the crowd. It's like, he is of indistinct height, brown hair, white skin.
0: Wearing a plaid shirt. Yeah. Oh, okay. And literally everyone here is too.
1: But then the young Creepazoid Nazi boy freaks out and that's how they catch him. And then, right? Or, I don't know. Or they catch like a third guy that nobody ever cares about because I think the Creepazoid boy is still... There, Honestly, only three of the Nazis ever distinguished themselves at all. Yes, There's the lieutenant, there's the baker, and then there's the creepy guy who was perving on the girl. And then there's like four other guys who all might be the creepy guy who was perving on the girl. I'm not sure. But two of them are left when they get to this camp. And we have the Leslie Howard cameo where, I don't know, Leslie Howard's doing his best.
0: <laughs> Leslie Howard drops into this movie from... Basically from Pygmalion as this incredibly erudite British writer.
1: Yeah, basically, the Nazis all go full, like, look at this cuck on Leslie Howard. And he's like, am I a coward? I just think I like art. Like, I don't maybe, maybe, I don't know. So they tie him up and destroy all of his art, which really pisses him off and fail to escape because they're bumbling idiot Nazis. And Leslie Howard just walks straight at them while they shoot at him, and he gets shot in the leg, calls them a coward, and beats the ever-loving shit out of them in the name of Matisse and Picasso, whose paintings they destroyed. Which is kind of hilarious, because they have to cut away from Leslie Howard, because... Leslie Howard cannot believably whoop the shit out of anybody.
0: Literally no one.
1: I love Leslie Howard.
0: He is a wet noodle.
1: And I love him for it.
0: I do too, but he is not going to whip anyone's ass.
1: I thought he was great when the part was like, what's wrong with liking art and reading and writing novels? Devaluing that pointlessly in some weird masculine exercise sucks. And then going, also, I'm more masculine than you is like, oh, right, it's the 40s. Right. Right. <laughs> right. This kind of has to end that way, even though it's not at all believable or compelling. <laughs> but yeah, after that, the lieutenant's the only one that's left. He stows away on this train on its way across the Canadian-American border, meets up with a guy that's deserted the Canadian army, but mostly just doesn't want to keep being a boring guard. He wants to go over and kill Nazis.
0: <laughs> it's really funny, too, because... He's a deserter, technically, but he's a deserter because he wants to do more war.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like everyone in this film, which is a just loving portrait of Canadians, absolutely everyone trusts these Nazis and turns their back on them (laughs) constantly (laughs) and gets hit over the head for their troubles. Yes. That happens like 15 times in this film. And he gets hit over the head and the lieutenant switches uniforms with him because he's still wearing his Canadian military uniform and takes his gun and gets across the border and demands to be taken to the embassy. But the Canadian soldier and the U.S. customs officials manage to work out a scam or basically they're in a freight car. So the Canadian military officer and the customs officials argue that the train should be treated as freight. And if there's illegally crossing freight, you just send it back, which means they get to send him back to Canada, which is already officially at war with Nazi Germany, unlike America at the time that this film premiered. And as a result, he is going to get captured and put in a POW camp rather than getting away with it and getting back to Germany. And that's the end of the movie.
0: Yeah, that's it. So I feel like we have to... Mm. Well, we don't have to. It's our podcast. We do what we want. But I would like to give each section of this movie, as far as the individuals who are the important center of each section, its own score before we give the whole movie a
1: score. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So opening 10 minute section about the U-boat, which I call the hunt for beige October. (laughs) I...
0: Oh, God, that's so accurate. Uh, Two? T- t-
1: <laughs> like, I it just...
0: <laughs> I wasn't even really considering that to be part of the movie. That's like the framing device. <laughs> yeah, that's... That's like when you watch Taming of the Shrew and they actually bother to do the whole, it's a guy going to an inn and they pretend he's having a dream, but then they put on a show for him.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: Like, most people cut that and it can be cut, so whatever.
1: I think it's that, like... This is a Daniel Ortberg thing, but it is also true of me that the only type of masculine rah-rah war movie, I'm, I'm usually like, oh, fuck that shit. I hate this stuff. But then the moment there's a submarine, I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> I love a submarine movie. And th- this movie pulls the rug out from under me and goes like, actually, you don't get a submarine movie. <laughs> I want it on record. I'm angry about it. But yes, it is barely part of this film.
0: Yeah. So we can also semi-review it if we haven't already. The first place where we have Laurence Olivier is this French-Canadian trapper. I'm going to give that a straight up one. It's racist. Laurence Olivier is giving the most bonkersly bad performance I've seen in a while.
1: Okay, I'm going to bump it all the way up to a two. And let me tell you why. Because of incredibly small moments in it. like When I say there's a potential there, I'm basically bumping it up to a two just because there's this moment where the Nazis decide that they need to play this chess by radio game in order to keep up the ruse that nothing weird is going on at this trading post. And I mostly just love the bickering between the Nazi official who feels that he should be playing the chess game so that they can't have any secret moves and the Canadian who just earnestly is very upset he's going to lose this chess game. (laughs) That little moment is better than anything else in that whole section, and is honest to God made me have some small amount of hope for this film when I was worried the whole movie was just going to be that. So I want to shout it out and bump it up a little bit, but I agree with all of your criticisms. That section just sucks.
0: (laughs) No, you're right. That is actually a pretty smart little moment. I would say even that speech that Laurence Olivier has before the Nazis start killing people, specifically him, where he says, the Germans aren't going to be that bad. The Nazis can't be that bad, right? They're humans like we are. And that gets turned around and proven that it definitely is not an accurate assessment of the situation, Which is a little heavy-handed, but I think also is a pretty clear and succinct portrayal of how a lot of Americans, and I imagine also Canadians, thought about the Nazis at first. You know, that a lot of people were like, well, they can't be really doing all of this crazy shit that we're hearing, right? And then it turned out that, yeah, in fact, they were doing a lot of crazy shit.
1: Like a lot of stuff in this first section... That's sort of mirrored by something in the Hutterite section that is done way, way better and with more nuance and more intelligently, um, which is the portrait of the inner humanity of the one Baker Nazi and the discussion of like, how do basically decent human beings become these monsters? That takes up the end of that section that handles that same idea of, they're just people. Like, it's got to be exaggerating how bad they are. And it instead goes like, no, they are just people. But institutionally, this one guy tries to revive his basic humanity and is murdered for his trouble. He is executed for his trouble. That is so much more intelligent, reasonable, emotionally affecting exploration of that same idea (laughs) than what they do in the first section with Lawrence Olivier.
0: <laughs> right. So the Hutterite section, I'm going to say, is actually quite good. You actually sent me a text while you were watching it saying, why didn't they just skip straight to the commune part? Because now this movie is great. And I didn't want to reply and be like, it stops. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it clicks everything this movie is trying to do into place. It does it at the best of its ability. It has really powerhouse performances. The casting of all the Germans, honestly, only makes sense in that section. Yeah. The problem is... That's 20 minutes of the movie, and it really can only be about 20 minutes of the movie. You could maybe stretch an extra 10 minutes of material in there, but there just ain't a full movie in that section. Is
0: it really only 20 minutes?
1: Yeah, this, I mean...
0: Because it's so in-depth and so well-drawn and well-written, and I feel like the characters really become people.
1: (laughs) I think it's maybe 25. They get there at about the 50-minute mark, Because I remember turning it on and going, God, how am I only 50 minutes into this movie? And then getting to the weird Indian scene and going like, oh, I don't like this at all. How much more do I have left? And it was an hour 15. There's also like a little bit that happens between the end of that section and the part where you're at the Native People's Parade thing. So I was saying 20 minutes, but I didn't like sit there with a stopwatch for it.
0: I mean, that makes sense. It's just that it's just so much more fleshed out than anything else in the movie that I was really engaged and I felt like I was watching something happen.
1: Oh, yeah. It fucking moves. It's the only section where people have dialogue that has layers to it, you know, mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, this piece of dialogue is serving more than one purpose. It's the only section of the movie where you have one single long explanatory monologue about, like, the nature of goodness and man. And it... Honestly, even it's way quicker than the much more boring Lawrence Olivier one.
0: I also think we already talked about Anton Walbrook's brilliant performance in here, but I think also Glynnis Johns, where she goes for being this sweet, kind of naive seeming girl who invites them in and is very hospitable and she just loves her fellow man, like her religion teaches her to. And then she finds out that they're Nazis and she says, you know, my religion teaches me not to hate, but I hate you. You killed my parents. Nazis are the worst. I mean, it's much better than this. It's very affecting.
1: Just in her reaction shots of them doing the build-up to the Nazi speech, she has this sort of great little arc of initially kind of almost buying in before they reveal that it's about being a Nazi This sort of sense of like, you can reclaim something, you can get back what you've lost. She's like, yes, more, tell me more. And then how just utterly crushed she is at the reveal that the answer is what killed her parents. That these people who have come into her life are actually Nazis. She's great.
0: So I would say like an eight?
1: Yeah, eight or nine, somewhere, like just somewhere really high. Yeah. This is, why don't they just make the whole plane out of the black box? (laughs) If this could be the whole movie, which it can't, this would be a great film. Yeah. Do we want to lump the Native People's Day thing in with the Leslie Howard bit, or do we want to treat that as two separate episodes?
0: No, I think they're the same, because Leslie Howard refers back to it a few times. Yeah. He ends up in the movie because of it, and they end up around him because of it. Yeah.
1: It just sucks because it's the thing that sucks about that section and I wish you could excise it away. But you're right. He does this belabored, don't you see how the Nazis are just like the Savage Peoples of America thing that's like, this sucks. <laughs> yep. <sighs> yep. What I was saying last week about Leslie Howard elevating whatever he is in is still true. It's just he elevates a thing that ought to be a two up to like a four or a five.
0: I mean, the parts where he's not saying super racist bullshit, and he's just being like, oh, yes, chap, I'm here writing my novel. (laughs) He's just utterly charming and delightful. But he also is like kind of a colonialist British dick as well. So yeah, yeah. I'd say like a four. I'm not going to go any higher than that.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think especially if you're adding in that opening section before Leslie Howard arrives, that section is definitely more bad than good.
0: Though it's weird as fuck.
1: Yeah, it's extremely strange. You don't really get where any of it is going until the last two minutes of it. And then you're like, oh, we did all that for (laughs) We did all that so that Leslie Howard could beat up a Nazi off screen. (laughs) It's very strange. Then the last section, it's like, the last section's a whole lot of nothing.
0: The last section is a comedy sketch. Yeah. But Raymond Massey is funny, I think, in it.
1: That's true.
0: As the soldier who's deserted because
1: he doesn't get to war enough. One of the things (laughs) that I think a better version of this movie would play up a little more, do some more interesting things... Is the bone deep belief of the Nazi lieutenant that everybody's a Nazi waiting to happen? That like every time somebody's nice to him or says anything bad about Canada or democracy for a single moment, he's like, oh, so you love being a Nazi? And they're like, of course I fucking don't. I don't like my boss. I don't like my boss doesn't mean that I want to be a Nazi, you idiot.
0: Right. And like
1: that section where, and you're right, it is a comedy sketch, but that section where Raymond Massey goes, yeah, the point of democracy is I get to bitch about democracy. That's why democracy is great. I get to say how much it sucks here.
0: It's the, I can talk shit about my family, but you can't (laughs) about democracy.
1: (laughs) I do like all that stuff and wish it was a little bit more of the thing. Because the whole technically we can break the law so he doesn't get away with it thing is on one level, I'm glad because I always do hate no one can ever violate the letter of the law and that's how they get away with it ending. But it is also weird that that's the big heroic ending of the film, you know?
0: (laughs) It does kind of feel anticlimactic for it to be a comedy sketch and the resolution is essentially bureaucracy wins the day.
1: Right. I get where it... Honestly, I don't get where. I understand on a historical level that, like, the end of this, because America hadn't entered the war yet, you can't end with America absolutely coming in. So you have to do this weird wink ending. Don't worry, America's here doing its part by looking the other way.
0: Right. (laughs)
1: Honestly, that was where America was in 1941, so I guess it makes sense.
0: I mean, it's not an American movie.
1: No, but it is a fair portrait, I think, of like where FDR was pre-Pearl Harbor.
0: Yeah, it's not trying to shame the Americans into it, but it's like, hey- You could help us, even if you're not in the war yet, you you could still help us. Yeah. Which they do.
1: Yeah. It is mostly, I think it gets docked points just because you're right, it's a comedy sketch and that's a weird vibe. These are escaped Nazis that have killed uh, a dozen people by the end of the film. Like, if we're assuming that all the people they hit over the head don't just wake up and go, boy, that was weird. (laughs) Yeah. They killed quite a few people. And so ending on this weird comic light section of just like this fish out of water Canadian soldier chilling out with a Nazi in the back of a cargo train is like, uh, okay, uh, it's fine. It's fine. I don't have anything really bad to say about it, besides just it feels like it belongs in a different film. But which of the four films this already was that it belongs in, I could not tell you.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's why I wanted to go through and rate these individually, because you can't really put it in the context of the film, because the film doesn't have context. So I'm going to say it's like a six. It's funny, It makes some interesting political points about democracy is the worst form of government except for all of the other ones. And also that sometimes bureaucracy is good, actually.
1: Yeah, I mean, as a weird standalone comic set piece, I think it is, yeah, more good than bad. So a six makes sense. As part of this movie, I would dock at points. But as its own thing, I think it's mostly effective. Yeah. So the overall grade is a number. It's definitely a number between one and ten.
0: Hold on. I I got this. I got this. Okay. It's a four.
1: That seems fair.
0: I feel like that's about right. Yeah, it's a four. It's not as good as average, but there's way better than average parts that raise some of the really crap parts a little higher. Yeah. Should you watch this movie? Absolutely not.
1: Yeah, no. It is a mildly effective propaganda film about how Nazis suck. I think you can find other films in the history of cinema about how Nazis suck.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you can find other movies in our podcast about how Nazis suck. Like, watch The Great Dictator.
1: Yeah, The Great Dictator's so much better than this movie.
0: So much better. Yeah, don't watch this movie. So for next week...
1: Now I complain about Ronald Reagan.
0: Yeah, so it's King's Row with Ronald Reagan and Claude Rains is in it. Don't know anything about it. Probably won't like it because I don't love Ronald Reagan. Yeah. But we'll see. You know, here's the thing. I don't like Ronald Reagan, the president. As far as Ronald Reagan, the actor... I don't really have enough exposure to make an assessment because the only thing we've seen him in was Dark Victory where he was like kind of a semi-Baxter.
1: It's like that fucking dumb cameo that Donald Trump has in Home Alone 2 where like now it just it hits you different. Now him being the dumb Baxter just doesn't play right because he was fucking Ronald Reagan, president of the United States. If the point of the screen test of time is how's this shit hitting you in 2020, it's like bad. He's bad casting for this thing because he eventually becomes president.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: But that's so spoiler for next week. I probably won't like Ronald Reagan in it, but let's see if I like anything else about it. (sighs) Until then.
0: This was four different movies.
1: Five. I'm still crediting that opening U-boat section. Five.
0: It was five. (laughs) Totally fair. Actually, this was four movies at a comedy sketch. <laughs>
1: yes. Bye, everybody.
0: Goodbye. Coming from Toronto? Yes. Living there, maybe? No. Quite a place, Toronto. I didn't see much of it. Are you from the West? I've been there.
1: Vancouver? Yes. That must be a beautiful city, Vancouver. I didn't stay there long either. You won't stay along anywhere, do you?